All right, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining me today in the Emerging Technology Theater. Uh, my name is Chris Savoya. I'm going to be talking uh, today about collaborative robots, a little bit about the labor crisis that we're going through. And uh, I think it's a fitting day. Um, I don't know if you all have been watching the news, but the, talk, the stock markets are, are definitely um, going pretty low right now. And uh, coronavirus outbreak, and now I'm just going to put the icing on the top with a little bit of uh, talk about the labor crisis. So um, I am for Universal Robots. I run the UR Plus program. Uh, so Universal Robots is kind of unique in the robotics space. Uh, we have essentially what's an app store. Uh, and we've productized a bunch of components uh, around deploying solutions faster and lowering the barrier to entry. Uh, I'm here today actually replacing my colleague Joe Campbell, who's the senior um, marketer for the Americas. Joe wanted to attend the event, and as many of us, uh, we have some somewhat uh, travel restrictions in the area, so I'm filling in for him. But uh, I presented these slides before, so I hope you get some value from them. So uh, for those of you that are you know, familiar with traditional robotics, uh, I wanted to talk to you and, and kind of frame this today about the winds of change that are coming. Um, there's new technology out there, uh, new customers. There's accelerated adoption. People really need to use robotics more than ever now. Uh, there's a lot of new market drivers, which are going to be a major point of today's discussion, and new channels to market as well. And one of those major market drivers is the labor shortage. I have a tremendous amount of statistics that I'm going to share with you today that I hope can help influence your opinion on uh, how to approach this problem, because it is a pervasive problem throughout uh, all markets in the, in the United States and globally as well. Uh, and the three basic points are that it's impossible to hire, very difficult to find talented uh, people. And those people that you can hire, it's expensive to train them. Uh, to be where they need to be. And then furthermore, it's difficult to keep them once they're there. I think we can all relate to that. And we've seen a lot of people changing jobs more than ever now. And what I want to try and prove to you today with some of the statistics I'm going to show to you is that the manufacturing staffing is not a short-term issue. I have the benefit of going around to a lot of places in the United States and seeing a lot of different manufacturing uh, institutes. And all the... Um, principles that these companies tell me it's not a short-term issue it's a demographic issue so let's look at some of these up here the US is experiencing historically low unemployment a 50-year low we haven't had this kind of low in unemployment since post-war BLS the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports more job openings than people to fill them I have some more numbers on that in a little bit the National Association of Manufacturers executive survey says that the majority of top-level executives at companies say that their major problem is still finding skilled workers. And the Society of Manufacturing Engineers, almost 90% of manufacturers have difficulty finding qualified workers. And uh, on the right there, I, I want to point out to you um, that of all the, you know, these three industries, manufacturing is hit hardest by this. And I think it's a uh, interesting demographic issue. So despite this being a national problem, there's certainly regional variations to all this. Uh, just in October, unemployment seasonally adjusted was 3.6%. Full, un full unemployment, which is basically if everyone who wanted a job had a job, 
uh, is usually assumed to be between 4.1 and 4.7 percent. So we have, you know, more unemployment than you would uh, typically expect to see. And especially in rural areas, uh, which are at or almost as low as 2% compared to the 3.6 country, uh, countrywide reporting. And again, uh, NAM and BLS reports 477,000 unfilled jobs at the end of October 2019. Almost 30% of plants reported are turning down new business or additional revenue. These are jobs that they could have gotten, they were bidding on, and they had to turn them down because they didn't have enough people to fill this, uh, the orders. And uh, so Joe's a veteran of the robotics industry, and I, I was joking with him last night, and it's actually a little fitting. Um, you know, Joe couldn't make it. He uh, nominates uh, a millennial to get up and, and replace him. Joe's like probably 62 years old. And uh, fundamentally, and self-admittedly, this, this is a demographic issue. Right? We have an issue where 10,000 boomers are reaching its retirement age every single day. Right? And what I think is really important is that second point right there. 55 plus represents 27% of man manufacturing workforce in the United States. So if you have 1,000 people in your company, 270 of them are facing retirement. So that means you're going to have to backfill 270 of those people if you want to do a direct one-to-one. -one. And I think the self-admitted reality, and it's certainly true for myself, you know, I was just raised uh, to always believe in higher education. You know, I, whether it was meaningful or not, you know, manufacturing jobs were not perceived as glorious jobs, you know, when we were young. And so a lot of us are incentivized to move beyond manufacturing jobs to seek higher education, you know, and higher talent jobs. So um, it's, it's really a perception problem. And the Deloitte study found that 83% of the U.S. population find manufacturing jobs important to the economy, but less than a third of them would encourage their children to pursue those jobs in manufacturing. That was a survey among uh, all degreed parents. So what we have here, interesting dem uh, infographic, 2.69 million jobs are open from retirement. We expect uh, over the next 10 years, I should say, actually, between the next eight years, between 2018 and 2028, 2.69 jobs are going to open from retirement. 2.4 million jobs are going to be the vacancies due to the shortage in the manufacturing industry. So another way to look at this is, uh, you know, the susceptibility to industry, and this is going to be another point I make in my presentation today about workplace industries and how we can use automation to mitigate that. Uh, 104 million workdays are lost to industries and fatalities across the industry in 2017. 400,000 man years. Manufacturing had uh, almost 400,000 reported injuries in 2016. And what I want to point out to you on the graph on the right is that a large proportion of those medium days away from work, as well as the age of people, you can look on the top part of those graphs right there and see that it's typically you know, the older people that are spending more days away from work. That makes a lot of sense. So what, what does this all boil down to? Doing nothing is not an option for these people. Uh, all these companies have to find a solution to this. And if you're thinking about automating, we typically have two schools of thought, or usually 
if you're going to consider automating, you think of traditional industrial automation, uh, which is a fixed capital cost and uh, permanent equipment a lot of times. And what a lot of people don't realize is available to them is a second school of thought that has been growing quite a bit lately. It's called collaborative automation. I have some more statistics for you that I'll show you that proves that collaborative automation is the key to filling these labor shortages. So let's talk a little bit of basics about what uh, collaborative automation is even about. A lot of people might have heard the word cobot or collaborative robot. Uh, cobots are really known for being safe. Inherently, they have safety systems built into them. Um, but collaborative also means that it's, you're able to work next to people. Not just because it's safe, but because it's easy to use. Uh, there's a lot of uh, videos online of five-year-old girls, you know, like programming our robots, like their dad will bring one home from work or something like that. And it's true that if you can program a smartphone, you can program these robots. There's no reason to be a degree engineer or anything like that. Some of the case studies I'll show you at the end of this presentation uh, really reflect that as well. And usually, the cost is about a third to a half of traditional automation. I'll get to how that breaks down in a little bit. And uh, also notably, they're, they're viable in high mix, low volume. And uh, especially with small and medium sized businesses, this is an extremely important point. Uh, how do you invest in something that then you don't have to uh, worry about you know, it, it appreciating over a long time uh, and getting your ROI over three years or five years. Instead, you can get your ROI in as little as one year. Uh, just kind of a side-by-side -side comparison. Traditional, uh, and I regret to say, I didn't mean to put on industrial robots. I want to say traditional robots um, are difficult to set up. Uh, you need a lot of programming. Usually you have to go to school or take classes for several weeks or months to learn how to do them, if not a degree to engineer. They're fixed installations, and so it takes a long time to get your value back on these fixed pieces of automation. Um, there's expensive space requirements. You've got to think about you know, your spaghetti diagram and your uh, place and really lay out things for optimization when you're doing this. You need a safety fence sometimes, uh, and you have numerous additional costs on top of that, like infrastructure-wise. Collaborative robots, uh, for the most part, are fast to set up. Anyone can program them, like I said earlier. Uh, flexible deployment, they're very lightweight, and because they're so easy to program and reprogram, uh, I'll show you a case study later where people have them on rolling carts and they actually bring them around um, their manufacturing uh, and logistics places to uh, basically do different jobs throughout the day. Uh, limited space requirements, because they're collaborative, they can work right next to people uh, and side by side with humans and cost effective uh, with fast payback. So this is another big point. If you're familiar with robots, it was an all or nothing game. If you chose to do automation, uh, you usually had to clear out a space on your plant. You had to dedicate a high volume part uh, to being automated completely. And I think we all remember the Ford commercials from the early 2000s when all the robots swoop in and weld the car. Uh, what those commercials don't really commu communicate is that that's a very small part of the process of, for example, building a car or something. Um, most of the work is still done by hands by humans. Uh, and I want to show you that it's not an all or nothing game with collaborative robots. That's really the difference of this new market. There's strict safety standards, which do apply to collaborative robots as well, um, but they're just larger and um, more dangerous. 
reinforced by costly and limited floor space, like I said, and uh, the most demanding 10% of a project can consume 10% of the cost. So when you need to do an all or nothing thing, it's that last little bit where the operator is picking up a part and looking at something, and you don't really take that into account when you're specking out a job, but that ends up being the hardest thing that increases the complexity significantly and makes it hard to automate that problem. Uh, so MIT put out a really interesting study. They found that 85%, uh, p uh, sorry, humans are 85% more efficient when they're working with a robot in collaboration, rather than just the robots doing it independently or the humans doing it independently. I think this is an interesting point. Humans are really good at being humans and solving problems. Robots are really good at doing monotonous things over and over again, but they're also really good at doing them on pace and at speed, right? So if you pair together the adaptive uh, and comprehensive mind of a human and, so to speak, the mechanical of the robot arm, you're overall much more productive than you would be otherwise. And one of the important things is that when you choose to do this collaborative type of automation, it can be incremental, right? So you can choose to pick a low-hanging fruit in your factory, uh, amortize the cost of learning about collaborative robots on an easy application that you can get a fast ROI on, and then you can start to take on harder tasks. But when you take on those harder tasks, you don't need to entirely automate the entire thing, right? You can have one person basically tending four cells where they would have done one before. That person has to go over and do a gut check, maybe lay some plastic down, you know, do the kind of things that it would be hard to traditionally automate and would cost that 40% of the project, and then have the robots run off the rest of it. And even CFOs can like that kind of thing. It's a lot less risk. I just wanted to show this slide to talk about the explosion and growth of collaborative robots. Uh, so if we're looking between 2017 and 18, a little outdated, admittedly, um, we grew significantly more than the traditional robot industry. So collaborative robots are breaking into a new market that traditional robotics have never really been a part of. Uh, and they're also stealing market share from traditional robotics. And uh, you can see just uh, on the right-hand side there, um, sorry, that's good, matter went out. On the right-hand side there, uh, that's just the number of units growing over year in the projections. Doesn't matter who you look at, you can all look up some different research here, and almost everyone is consensus that uh, collaborative robot, robots are growing uh, exponentially. So like I was saying earlier, we can solve different challenges than we could have usually with traditional automation. And I think one of the big markets that we go after at Universal Robots is the small and medium-sized enterprises. These are people that should be automating to stay competitive globally. You know, they're ha facing the same labor issues that other people are, uh, but they don't have the staff um, to deploy robotics and they don't have the capital to be able to go out and solicit a third party to do this kind of work for them. So. How do they automate? You know, they find an easy to use collaborative platform and they start to standardize on it. In 2016, there were two, uh, 250,000 firms in the manufacturing center. Approximately 90% had less than 100 employees. So that shows you how ubiquitous SMEs actually are, especially in the United States. And uh, I just wanted to show this slide because there are a range of collaborative robots. And in fact, we actually like to use the term collaborative applications because you know, if, you're, if you have a, a robot and it's holding a knife, it doesn't matter how collaborative it is, you're still going to need to implement safety measures right, to mitigate risk. 
Um, and you can kind of look here, there's collaborative cells uh, all the way up to you know, responsive and adaptive uh, collaboration. So there's, we call it the three Ds at Universal, and almost all of our case studies have some kind of semblance of this in it, right? The dull and the dirty are things, exactly that perception problem that I was talking about earlier, the reason why uh, millennials don't love manufacturing jobs, because they're perceived to be dull and dirty, right? They're either monotonous and per people are moving parts around all day, or they're in these disgusting machines, you know, and they're pulling parts out and they go home, you know, stinking every day. And uh, one of the, <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, what we want to try and do is push skilled operators into higher value activities. Um, and more importantly, increase workforce satisfaction with the jobs that they have to do. Again, give people the ability to use their minds for what they're good at doing. And the third D that we like to talk about is dangerous. And I would recommend you to start here if you have dangerous operations in uh, your place of work. Um, the same points you know, for pushing operators into higher value skills and improving the perception of manufacturing but we can reduce workplace, workplace injuries significantly uh, and as well as workers' comp claims. So uh, collaborative robots, I'm gonna show you a little bit more about this in a minute. Uh, they can be flexible. Like I mentioned earlier, you can put a collaborative robot on a pedestal and push it around the plant and we have case studies where people have gone from tending a machine all day and not really using their brains for anything to now they're the, the robot babysitter, right? So their jobs, they get a task list in the morning and they have to move the robot around to different areas throughout the day and make sure the robot's running efficiently and then they can go off and do other value-added tasks while that robot's doing the monotonous stuff. So this idea of flexibility, which you'll see a lot of components on the UR Plus store on our website that help out with flexibility, uh, it's a big thing for us. And what it really comes down to is the robot is a tool. You know, it's not a piece of capital equipment that you have to depreciate over three years. This robot's adaptable. If you change your workplace, if you get new orders, if you change the direction of your company, you can take this tool and reapply it in different ways over time. It's not stationary. Uh, again, UR Plus is really important for that because you can basically go shopping online, find a new gripper or a process end effector or something like that and retool your robot in a matter of weeks to doing something completely different than it was doing before. And I should notice, uh, I should mention that the rental market for robots is really growing. Uh, you'll hear the words RAS, uh, robots as a service. And I think that's great because a lot of people have, you know, um, a little bit more trepidation about getting into this kind of market. And if you can offer them a rental option or a low cost leasing option, they're much more inclined to get out there and try automation, especially for SMEs. So let's cover a couple case studies. Uh, I might skip through some of these with time permitting, um, but the first case study I wanted to highlight too was actually one of the first uh, companies I was exposed to when I started at, at UR. All Access Machinery is a small machine shop in Dallas, Texas. Um, they uh, basically process metal fabrication in different ways, uh, and their biggest concern was lack of available labor. So they really were turning away people and jobs, I should say, they were turning away jobs um, as in contracts to do work all the time uh, because they didn't have enough people to run their machines. So they got wind of Universal Robots. We have a, um, 
an office local in Dallas, and actually my colleague back there, Israel, was instrumental in helping them get ramped up. Uh, All Access was really interesting because they started as an integrator, and they actually automated six different applications, and then they realized that they were working on, on all this legacy equipment, and they actually decided to become an integrator for other people. So to take that lessons they learned, they thought it was so easy. None of these guys are degreed engineers or anything, but they picked up the robot, they got so good at programming it, they started programming it for other companies. They sold their services as well as their parts that they're now making. Uh, And then eventually they pursued UR Plus too. So they figured out how to interface between machines uh, in like a productized way. So they were able to take that lesson and then sell it to other people way beyond just their local scope. You know, they were selling it globally. Uh, And they achieved an amazing ROI of four months. And we have a great case study. I'd recommend you go go on our website and check this out. PMI. uh, So, you know, a lot of uh, what we hear today is about machine tending, machine shops, and material handling. Uh, I think this is a great example of a company that's adapting for, you know, the next five years. Uh, They're progressive in what they're doing. PMI is a metal fabricator in rural Wisconsin. And they're running three shifts. Uh, They're totally flat out, right? And they have a shortage of skilled welders. Their welders are doing really low, um, you know, they're basically doing really simple jobs all the time. They're doing little tack welds, you know, and their highest skilled guys are wasting their time doing a lot of really simple things. They're working with this company that we uh, have as a partner of ours called Hirebotics. And uh, Hirebotics has created this really cool rental service model where they have a a welding robot come in and then they have an app on their smartphone. You can control the entire robot from the app on their smartphone. They got up and running uh, in like under a day. Our case study, if you go on and you see the welder, this guy has never been to school, but he is very good at welding. He doesn't know a thing about robots, but he was able to program this robot to do these repeatable welds with very high quality. And now that guy can go out and set up jobs. And I think the coolest thing that they did was they were able to certify the robot and the skilled welder um, to, for these welds, right? So in the industry there, and they have to have certified welds, they're able to certify the robot and the skilled welder such that if the job is set up by him, you know, any operator in the entire place can walk up and run that robot and, and tool it up and get it going, and they're still certified welds. So I think welding is a big market for us that we'll see going forward. Paradigm Electronics, uh, if you're familiar with UR, you've probably seen this case study before, but it's one of my favorites. Um, these people were dealing with a, uh, you know, an increase in demand due to a new cabinet that they make. It's an electronics uh, manufacturer. They make really high-end quality um, audio equipment. They're up in Toronto. Uh, Toronto is a very manufacturing, uh, you know, mecca. It's got a lot of stuff going on up there, but it's also very, very strict when it comes to safety. So uh, we were able to go up into Toronto and deploy this UR10 up there uh, to do about 90% of the work of the polishing. People were blowing out their shoulders and their backs by standing over these cabinets all day, laying down the lacquer on these high-quality cabinets. So the robot goes in and actually uses force because that's the same way they're safe. They kind of feel you if they hit you. So it's able to go in, and with just a simple touch, it's able to really nicely lay down 90% of that lacquer on the top of the cabinet. The worker comes in and does about the last 10%, does a little finish. It's very important that they have good quality on these things. If you apply too much pressure, the cabinet overheats and it ruins all your work, right? So they had this up and running and uh, their ROI was 14 months. (laughs) 
Evco Plastics. Um, I love these uh, guys because they, they cover it all. Uh, three shift operation, super high mix, low volume. Um, they want more value add all the time. They're turning over staff because they can't keep enough skilled laborers here. And they're used to traditional automation and they were looking for how to break into that next tier of automation and really see the value that they needed to. So the second point there where they talk about, they automated all these different applications. They had assembly applications, they were pulling plastic parts out of the mold, inserting them using that same force functionality that I was just talking about. They were packaging things up, pulling plastic and cardboard out, putting things into boxes, scooting it down the line. Uh, they were actually harvesting a 3D printer station. So in addition to their injection molding, they had a, a row of 3D printers and they were able to run lights out now because they have a robot sitting there and able to pull the parts off and start a new part on 3D printing. 3D printing tack times are longer, right? So you want to be able to pull off that part as soon as it's done. And uh, they saw a great value there. And they saw a lot of palletizing applications too, where they were taking those uh, packaging cases off. And similar to how you'd see in our booth right behind you actually, um, they're stacking them up right on a pallet at the end of the line. So they hit their ROI between, depending on the project, between six and nine months. So it's another great case study I'd recommend you look on our website. Task force tips. Uh, I'm actually gonna kind of breeze through this one. Um, I think they have a lot of reminiscent, you know, miss to uh, all access machinery. Um, another machine shop, you know, they, they found value in a little bit different ways. They found value with deburring applications. And um, again, uh, they have people who were never degreed engineers programming these robots. So that guy that you saw in the last slide and, and there in the bottom picture, uh, he kind of owns the robots now. And, um, they were able to reduce their staffing from seven uh, people to three people for staffing at the machines and running those parts off. Uh, and they hit an incredible 34 day ROI. Um, you know, I think using some clever math, but it's true. Uh, one hour per operator per shift to set up the robot and 20, 21 hours of unassisted machine tending. So their trick was that they found a way to um, basically done up the parts in advance so that the robot could sit there and pull parts off and run it all night long while there's no one watching it. DCL Logistics, so this is probably more fitting. We're starting to get more fitting case studies for the audience here at Modex. Uh, DCL is a brand new case study for us. They have three plants, um, one in uh, Hawthorne, Southern California, one in Northern California, and I believe one in Kentucky, right? Um, and so they're a different type of e-commerce. Um, they're a very seasonal type of company. They have lower volume orders. They just simply can't use those big logistics uh, integration companies that you know, you've probably heard so many companies using. Um, and they found, they actually implemented this robot themselves. Uh, so they were able to take this in, they kind of designed this overhead hanging thing. And they have all these products on the right and left side. They have these conveyors come in, robot pulls the part off the shelf, it's all automatic, you know, comes out of their SAP system. Uh, and let's see what their ROI was. ROI for this robot was three months. So they saved a ton of cost because they also did it in-house. They had a guy who was clever enough to figure out how to do this stuff. Um, and yeah, this is a case study that's coming. We have a one minute uh, preview of it on the Modex website right now, but the full case study will be released in about two weeks. They use tons of uh, UR plus components as well, which helped them drive down the cost. Paltac. Uh, this is another interesting one. So I'm from Boston and I used to be in sales uh, with Universal Robots and uh, 
Paltac is using a solution from up there called Right Hand Robotics. And uh, if you've ever seen the Alien uh, movies, it actually kind of looks like the Alien. So it's like a gripper with three fingers, but then it has a suction cup that like articulates out from it. Uh, and it's all about high mix um, order fulfillment at high speeds, but also collaboratively at the same time. So Paltac uh, is based out of Japan. They're the leading wholesaler of cosmetics, daily necessities, and, and general pharmaceutical products for Japan. Uh, and Paltac bought in heavy uh, with the right-hand solution. They're deploying it now. Um, let's look at some of the numbers here. So it's an overall automation system in their new 500,000 square foot facility, 20,000 different SKUs each year, and an annual capacity of one billion. Right Hand actually uses a machine learning vision algorithm, so AI, I guess you could say, uh, to identify these products without having to train them in advance. Derek's is a company uh, from Oregon. Um, they make uh, drill and knife sharpeners. And when they decided to automate with collaborative robots, they took an interesting um, approach to it. We have this free academy on our website, right? And basically in the course of 90 minutes, you can go on and learn enough about the robot to program it, pull it out of the box, be comfortable moving it around and teaching it its first programs. So they had everyone in their company take this training. And then they made a competition out of it. And uh, what they found is that a lot of people did really well with this competition. They kind of made a test out of it. And that lady in the lower right-hand corner, um, she really was above and beyond everybody else. So they nominated her. She, she used to just be a, um, you know, an operator running machines all day. They nominated her as the uh, robot you know, technologist of the company. So now she's the lead uh, tech in charge of deploying robots out to everybody um, across the factory. Uh, they hit their payback in less than one year. Zipper tubing is another uh, good case study of ours. So they're the industry leader in wraparound cable tubing for automotive and aerospace industries. Uh, they had basically an order come in, huge demand increase. They didn't know how they were going uh, to hit that. So they, again, like some of our other uh, you know, customers, decided to integrate the robots themselves. Um, what they found is that they, they were doing different jobs all the time, so they implemented a tool changer on their robot. So you could basically have the robot with a set of fingers one day, and then you can put like a polisher or something on it the next day. Uh, they were able to reduce the manual labor uh, in their force by 32% and reassign to more customized, highly skilled tasks like we were talking about. And their payback was less than one year. Uh, one of the final points I want to talk to you about is uh, the idea of standard cobot solutions. So it's very fitting that our booth is literally right behind us. Uh, and you can check out some of those standard solutions. But the idea is people, just like with UR Plus, where you've taken a gripper or some component off the shelf and you've productized it, and you give it at a list price and people know exactly what they're buying, uh, we're finding that integrators and uh, people who would traditionally customize products uh, projects are doing standard solutions now. So a great example is a palletizing solution. So there's a number of our partners out there, Onexia, Columbia, um, we have Cross Automation over there, who have come up with palletizing solutions. This is a fixed cost, basically. They'll be able to tell you from what your box size is, 
and what your what your uh, rep rate is for the incoming, you know, roughly what your cost is right off the bat, bat. and they'll be able to tell you if it fits in the scope of, of their solution there. Um, so palletizing is just one of those standard solutions that we offer. Welding, machine tending, those are other ones as well. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, you are just kind of leading the game with training online. Um, you know, if you're used to traditional robotics, you're used to going to uh, class, you know, for two weeks, sometimes more, to learn how to program these things. And usually you have to have a technical background in either controls or engineering or both to really get it. Um, most of what UR does for training is done online. We also do have in-person classes, but they're usually only a day or two long. Um, you can take an entire training in a week. Um, and that's like up to the advanced training, so to speak. Uh, so the training's online, it's available, there's no charge for it. You just go to um, universal-robots.com backslash academy. Uh, we have 90,000 users on it, 13 plus, 130 plus countries available in eight, eight languages. And uh, we've started also authorizing our partners to give trainings too, um, because the barrier to entry is so low on it. So uh, pretty much any state you go to in the United States and all across Europe, uh, you'll find our partners giving the same curriculum that we give. Um, just educating everybody we can. And this is uh, one final one I wanna leave you guys with. Um, this is a graph uh, that's shown a lot by the IFR, International Federation of Robotics, and the RIA. Um, and what it shows is unemployment versus industrial robot shipments. And a lot of people think that robots are taking jobs. What we find historically, going back to the mid-1990s, um, that actually it's just the opposite. There's been an increase with robot shipments every time employment has increased. And you can see that here. The, the, the blue line is the unemployment line. And uh, the yellow bars are the industrial robot shipments. So robots don't take jobs. Robots help facilitate jobs. And just like uh, I was talking about earlier with perception, you know, if I'm someone coming into the workplace, I wanna work at a place that has technology that's trying to innovate and be progressive and that will challenge me in new ways that you know I think that I would never be challenged. So um, that's kind of the closing thoughts for that. If you have any questions, uh, I can take them for about the next 10 minutes or so. Um, you can reach me at chsa at universal-robots.com. The website is the same. If you guys want copies of these slides, just come up and drop your uh, card off to me and I'll make sure to get them over to you. Uh, and yeah, I'm available for any questions you got. Our, our booth is right there, so make sure to check it out if you're interested. Thank you. Any questions? Oh, yeah. What are the languages that are available? Um, see if I can list them. Uh, so French, German, English, uh, Spanish, Japanese, Chinese, six. Um, Portuguese, probably, yeah, we get a big presence in Brazil. Uh, I'm blanking on the last one, I forget, I apologize. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the same thing applies to our software too. So on our uh, robot there, the Teach Benin, uh, all those same languages are available for the software. Oh, Russian, yeah, that's a big one as well. <laughs> Any other questions? All right, thank you guys very much. Finished up a little bit early, but uh, appreciate it.